right, ladies and gentlemen, we are here talking with Mr. Miles. Sir, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you, Michael Dean? I'm doing all right, man. I'm just uh, amped. I'm, I'm ready to talk to you. I, it's just so funny. I always see your name uh, on social media in different places, and I'm like, I see that name. And then I remember the interview came out with the, on the Ebony. I was like, putting two and two together. I was like, I felt like I know you, and I was like, oh, I know exactly <laughs> who that is. <laughs> so no, I'm good, man. I'm excited to talk to you today. Cool. And, yeah, uh, no, me too. I, you know, I've been listening to the podcast and stuff. Definitely, like all Prince heads do, I'm sure. You know, uh, all the real cool. heads. And uh, yeah, you know, you do great work. I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm excited to talk to you. Well, thank you, man. That means a lot coming from you because uh, you've done a lot of great stuff. And um, respect. Uh, yeah, man, for sure. And just to, to get into it, you know, we're talking about Prince, and I always want to sort of, you know, figure out how did a person get into Prince and where that whole thing started to put this conversation in context um mm. when did you you know initially hear about prince not necessarily were you a fan but when you heard of prince yeah well i grew up in new york city you know and there would i grew up in the bronx actually so there are always these excursions i took with my parents in the backseat of the car as they were driving to manhattan and so wbls would always be on mm. you know or kiss fm i guess but like uh, or even CBS FM, you know, like it was always music in the ride. And mm -hmm. so back in the day, DJ Frankie Crocker would be on BLS playing cuts. And uh, I just remember those singles. I mean, not everything was played. Uh, I don't remember too much of Do Me Baby, for example. I think that was more popular maybe in the South. But in terms of like uh, Want to Be a Lover, you know, I remember that very clearly in controversy also, you know. Okay. And uh, <laughs> I was surprised to learn from other Prince heads that, um, uh, well, when controversy came out, I thought it was a girl group, first of all. I mean, I was like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was maybe uh, 10 years old, you know, in the back of the car, not really paying full attention to what was happening, mm. not knowing, you know, what songs belong to who. But I thought it was a girl group, and I thought the name of the song was Count Your Blessings. Interesting. <laughs> and it's Cut like, I've come across that. Yeah, man. <laughs> I've uh, I've come across that from other princes wow. on the internet and stuff that, you know, like, uh, if they heard it as children, you know, a lot of okay. them thought that, uh, that that was the title of the song. Wow. But uh, so, you know, it wasn't until maybe junior high that I, I started to identify, like, okay, Delirious, you know, 1999, Little Red Corvette, like, this is Prince, mm -hmm. you know, and probably the reason I realized that was because of the advent of music videos where, you know, it was right. inescapable that that's who this is that I'm listening to. Okay, okay. And so you mentioned, you said that the Bronx, you know, in my mind, the boogie down Bronx, Bronx. Now, let me let me say this, because I think we come from the same era. Now, I have never been to New York, uh, but as a younger person, particularly early teens, at least my peer group here in, in, in the Northwest, we idolized and almost, you know, bowed to the altar of New York hip hop. Mm. Uh, and I'm, I'm bringing this up because I think it's important. Like for me, you know, when you mention those things, I, you know, I was just looking at this or listening to the other day, but I, I think of things like style wars and wild right. style sure. and, and things that I, you know, parts of those movies, I, to me, those movies are almost kind of like in the same realm of a purple rain to me, like in terms of how they sure. affected me. And, you know, I can say back some of the verbiage in the movie. I'm curious, like, what do you, 
growing up in that area and I I can only assume hip hop was such a strong it was just a normalized thing around like was there sort of like there's the Prince stuff and then there's your hip hop or were they just melding together I'm just curious what you thought of or how you saw things right I mean uh, you know when I started college around 1988 I used to tell dudes that uh, came from different parts of the country that I was meeting you know, down in school that like, I never saw Beach Street because I lived on Beach Street, you know, mm. like <laughs> I didn't right. need to go to the movies to see <laughs> Beach Street because, you know, it was like I lived on Beach Street. Right. I, I didn't see it until like the VCR era, you know, uh, okay. the first hip hop movie I probably saw was Crush Groove, which I loved. But like, um, and, you know, I had to catch up on all that stuff later. I mean, it was just the soup I slam in hip hop, you know, uh, I had two sets of grandparents that lived in different parts of the South Bronx. And I lived in the South Bronx until I was like four years old. And then we moved up uh, north uh, to the Northeast Bronx, uh, an area called Co-op City. But uh, yeah, I mean, balancing hip hop and Prince, it was interesting to see Crush Groove, you know, and then <laughs> smack dab in the middle of the movie. It's like, they're Sheila E. Right. Monks, Run DMC and the Fat Boys and, you know, Curtis Blow. Uh, like that was sort of my aesthetic, you know, on the one hand I was spinning Paisley Park records and on the other hand I was spinning, you know, Def Jam records, okay. you know, it was like, uh, I love both genres. I consider Prince his own genre, you know, <laughs> I loved, uh, I loved all the Prince's stuff and the things that he was turning me on to, you know, anytime he would, uh, have a rare magazine interview and he would mention Joni Mitchell mm. or, mm. you know, Miles Davis, uh, positioning a miles davis album in the background of under the cherry moon or right, something right. you know like i would uh i would seek those albums out and you know he taught me a lot uh when reviewers would mention you know that uh around the world in a day had something in common with sergeant pepper you know i would go and listen to sergeant pepper you know okay. and um at the same time you know there, there was hip-hop and the radio shows that were on uh BLS and Red Alert and Chuck Chill Out and you know WHBI playing uh you know all that stuff that uh I would tape off the radio and listen to all week long on my Walkman you know so Walkman. yeah li <laughs> yeah man <laughs> cassette tapes yes. those, those Maxell tapes the, yeah. the Maxell XL2S, my favorite. You know what I mean? It's like I that high to... bias action going on. <laughs> yes, man. <laughs> so I played all of that. You know, I, I played all of that. All right, and, and it's funny you mentioned. You know, like how Prince had, you know, the Miles Davis album cover, you know, shot in that movie Under the Cherry Moon. Yeah, sort of the same way when when Crush Groove had that. I don't know. It was a picture of Prince. I right. think it was in the Sheila scene. You know, so his presence was still like there you know even though it was like a hip-hop thing it was still in the era of prince you know what i mean and he had to have right. his pre you know his warner brothers and all that mm -hmm. um yeah I, I, crush groove was such a phenomenal movie at the time like uh I, I think the night it came out we went and saw that and just sat in the theater and watched it like three times in a row like really didn't even get out of the seat i don't think they were too scared to tell us to get up but we just sat <laughs> right. there and watched it That's over funny. and over it was hilarious yeah, I mean, you know, what's funny to think about now is that, uh, which I didn't realize at the time, is that uh, Holly Rock, you know, Prince wrote Holly Rock. Mm -hmm. So smack dab in the middle of this hip hop movie is like a rap, 
written by Prince, you know, that like nobody really knows because they didn't admit that kind of thing then. But, you know, right. Prince did uh, so much of Shilly stuff. It was almost like they and I think there's a there's a must be a book or something. I remember reading about this. Somebody was talking about it, but just like, you know, they had to have some sort of Prince presence or attachment in this movie, even though it was, you know, this hip hop thing and it was its own movement. But it was like, I think Warner Brothers was kind of like, yo, we've had such a success with Purple Rain. And I mean, we can't get him to do that movie over, but it's got, it still has to be something in regards to him to be in this movie. Uh, right to to get this thing made, which is which you know I can see the pushback from you know hip hop like Yo, why does it gotta have this guy in it? But you know it's the biggest mm-hmm. thing thing going. Um, yeah, I mean it is curious that Shilly E was cast as opposed to like yeah. Radon Chong or you know <laughs> somebody who uh, was popular from that era. You know, yeah, and and hey man, Sheila E, whoa, I, I, she was killing it back then. I mean. Oh yeah, uh, it was it was crazy. Love Bazaar obviously comes from that movie, and it was just. It was so funny because I listen. I'm gonna clown myself. Yeah, I had a Jerry curl. I'm st- I was still <laughs> coming out of the Michael Jackson, and then you know the Prince thing. So I still had the Jerry Juice, and I remember <laughs> <laughs> when that part of the movie comes up. I was the guy in the crew. They would always look at and be like, "They go, your boy Mike." And, uh, <laughs> they, your, your boy in the movie. I was, like, I was like, "Hey, man, you know, don't be mad." Right, right. But, right. Don't <laughs> but um, so this is interesting. So, like, obviously, you are uh, a big, uh, I think Prince fan. Obviously, very appreciated of the music and has followed it. And you mentioned, you know, you talked about like when the critics would talk about Prince. Now, I just I saw a video the other day. I was looking you up online, and uh, you must be good friends with Nelson George. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's my boy. Okay, you know? so I'm curious, I mean, like, uh, and that's somebody that I would love to meet. I've always followed his stuff over the years. I think I even read some of his um, fiction books, uh, you know, okay. aside from his music stuff and different things. And I always, you know, I think what caught my eye to him early on was I could tell like he was really into Prince or he would write about Prince, and you could kind of see. I thought there was some maybe even some pushback from Prince, or at least he was definitely acknowledging that. I see what you're doing, Nelson. You know, talking about. My, I'm curious. Have you ever had? I, I would imagine you guys have had conversations uh, about you know, meeting Prince or you know, observations over the years. Or was he sort of a, a someone that uh, inspired you, or just like more of a friend and same age group? Or? Yeah, no, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I mean, yeah, I guess I should, so. I should clarify that Nelson George is not my boy. <laughs> you know, Nelson, uh, Nelson is an esteemed colleague of mine, gotcha. and uh, you know, we have had deep conversations. You know, uh, at least you know from my point of view, uh, music about music and musically and stuff. Um, no, you know, Nelson was definitely one of the influences on me. Uh, you know, in terms of becoming a music journalist, I remember probably the first time I ever read him was the liner notes to LL Cool J's radio album Mm. because he'd written something uh, for that release, the first album on Def Jam. And um, then I would see him on TV talking about like Shockadelica. I remember there was some sort of music program, you know, in the 80s that he was on among other critics and they were talking about different records. And, 
you know, Jesse Johnson's Shockadelica came up because it had just dropped and he was saying it, you know, if Prince re- had released this record, it, you know, would have got more attention, uh, you know, but people sell Jesse short because he's like a protege, mm-hmm. you know, or at least, you know, it's viewed that way. Right, right. And, um, you know, and then during the 90s, finally I met him because uh, we were in the same circles finally, you know, I had decided to pursue music journalism and uh, so you inevitably bump into these people in New York City and stuff and uh, yeah you know he always had a kind word and stuff and um, I remember seeing him the night Tupac died there was a uh, party that Giorgio Armani had and the musical guest for the party was Mm D'Angelo and so D'Angelo was sort of dedicating songs to Tupac all night and I remember seeing Nelson there and having uh, you know probably our first you know deep conversation there where i was talking to him about d'angelo and maxwell and the difference between the two and stuff but Uh i don't think um truthfully i don't i don't think that nelson and i ever really discussed prince you know i remember us even talking about terence strandarby at one point um i remember i I lived in paris right for seven years from like 2004 to 2011 and so at some point nelson came over and we met and, you know, went to some cafe or whatever that I knew about and we were talking and I had just interviewed Terrence Darby, you know, now known as Sananda Matreya. And um, and he was saying, Nelson was saying that he had interviewed Terrence and that, you know, uh, in the 80s and, you know, just how wild and bugged out he can be, you know. Interesting. And, uh, <laughs> so, uh, okay. yeah, you know, about how, he, I guess, Terrence told Nelson about a dream he had about Sam Cooke or John Lennon or somebody coming to him in a dream and blah, 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 you know. And it was like, yeah, you know, I was telling Nelson that he, he hasn't changed, you know. <laughs> uh, Terrence, you know, he'll speak to you for 25 minutes before you've even posed your first question. You know what I'm saying? Wow, okay. He's, uh, he's on the early Kanye. Kanye. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, funnily <laughs> enough, you know, I, I asked Terrence about Kanye because I felt that they were sort of similar energy, you know? Mm, okay. Um, but yeah, well, since I was in France, um, Terrence relocated. He's in Milan now, so it wasn't okay. that far from me. Okay. And I just went over to Italy and interviewed him and, uh, you know, he's over there still making music and married and doing this thing, you know? Nice, nice. Very talented brother. Um, oh, yeah. Going back, you you, you mentioned the thing with uh, D'Angelo and George Armani. That's so funny. You mentioned that in the back of my mind. I remember seeing a picture from that. I don't know if it was in Vibe or one of these magazines, but I remember seeing some pictures from that because D'Angelo had like a suit on. And that was, right. I think it was before Voodoo came out, I believe. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was shortly after Brown Sugar, and uh, I remember him showing up with Vivica Fox on his arm. And okay. They weren't even dating, but I think that was like a record company thing where, you know, let's get him with, right. you know, the sexy it woman of, you know, right now. Right. And uh, yeah, that was that was quite a night. I mean, it was, it was more historic than it was supposed to be because uh, of the death of Tupac and, you know, the whole mm-hmm. room was buzzing with the news. You know, if you didn't know it when you got to the party, you knew it afterwards. Wow, wow. And there's a lot I wanted to ask you. I mean, to, just when you, you mentioned, uh, you know, D'Angelo and Maxwell, I was just, I don't know how I, so you'll be on YouTube and you start watching stuff and you can go down a rabbit hole. You right. Know, you start here and you end here. And somehow I was looking up stuff about you and looking at Prince and I came to Maxwell talking about Prince. 
Mm. And I was like, wow. And he was talking about um uh he was talking about Prince and Harry Belafonte. Okay. And he was saying how I think he was talking to Harry Belafonte and, and Harry Belafonte was telling him, Hey man, me and Prince were talking about you. Like mm. where's Maxwell? How come he's taking him so long to do this music and stuff? And he was just blown away, like <laughs> you know, these guys were actually wondering when he was gonna put his art out. But that's um, interesting. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting interview. I'll well, what I'm going to ask you, just to, you know, sort of sidetrack into this, I'm curious, like, in my mind, when I think of people like a D'Angelo and a Maxwell, and I'm big fans of these guys, I always, you know, it was always that conversation of who's going to be the next prince or who's going to, you know, be the next this or that and the third. And I always felt like either one of those guys, not necessarily, not to say that they could be the next prince, but I always felt like there was a lot of pressure on them to be the next sort of torchbearer and lead <clears throat> the charge of, of you know, music and soul music. And not to say that they didn't, but I almost wonder if like, and I'm going to put uh, Lauren Hill on this too, and I want to get your opinion on this. It almost seems like the three of them were set to be possibly that thing, but they all seem to have these large gaps in the work in terms of what was released and the follow-up to the great thing. You know what I mean? Like right. where it was Prince, it was just like, bam, bam, bam. And not, not that everything hit, obviously. Um, right. There was a lot of stuff that was maybe too much or just wasn't the right time, but he was still putting the work in and not to say that they weren't putting the work in either, but I'm curious <laughs> what you thought of like the three of them, seem to have a, it was you know i don't know there, there was gaps large gaps in them being released i don't know if this was music business differences in terms of how prince was able to put stuff out or not but i'm just curious what your you know interpretation or thoughts on that would be yeah i mean you know i think that they were scared quite frankly <laughs> you know i want to say something controversial which is that um Someone who continued to release music on a consistent basis was Jill Scott, you know, yes. and I, okay. I love Jill Scott, but I feel like her albums got uneven after a while, you know, and it's like if you release music on a consistent basis, you know, you're going to hit and you're going to miss. Mm -hmm. And I think that D'Angelo and Lauren Hill and, uh, you know, to a lesser degree, in my opinion, Maxwell, but sure, you know, he's in there uh, as well. I, I think that they were sort of afraid to miss, you know, like they were anointed as these torchbearers, you know, the new Prince, the new Marvin Gaye, the new mm -hmm. Nina Simone, you know, like whatever it is that was said about them. And, uh, you know, I think they got a little shook by that, you know, um, Somewhere up in their spirit, you know, I, I kind of feel like they didn't want to uh, have that sophomore slump, you know, and so they just sort of <laughs> stretched it out, you know, like if you wait 10 years, you'll get, you know, 11 more songs that are dope enough to put out, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, you know, if you do the customary, you know, every year and a half for a new album, uh, you know, you might you might start to to slip and uh, or whatever. You know, it's all art. It's all good. You know, right. there are songs that some people enjoy that other people don't, etc. But you know, in terms of uh, maintaining that standard that you know uh, a lot of critics and fans kind of thrust on their shoulders, uh, 
you know, it's it's hard, you know. So um so yeah, but there was somebody else I was thinking in that sort of whole vein. Uh there was D'Angelo, there was Maxwell, there was Lauren Hill. Did you mention somebody else? Oh, what well, I was thinking Erica Badu. Sorry. Oh, yeah, know? and I kinda left her out, but yeah, you could I would say mm-hmm. that she would follow obviously she was putting out records and actually you know as, yeah. you, as you think of D, uh Maxwell I would say honestly you know he put that first one you know, classic really came in kicking but I would right. I give him props for his second album which I so would admit I. I wasn't really feeling it but I respected okay. that he was just able to drop it and it was something that was totally different mm-hmm. <laughs> you know from the first one and it was like yo this is what I'm on so I, I respect that though and yeah. then and then he did come with another one after, which I got right back on. But but yeah, uh, you know, Erica Badu, another one. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, to go down the discography, I feel that, in my opinion, you know, Maxwell's first two albums are my favorites uh, okay. of his discography. Uh, when it comes to Erica, uh, I enjoy all her albums. Uh, I think that Worldwide Underground as an EP was probably, you know, the weakest of uh, what she put out. But... Uh, I think that, you know, of them all, she was probably the one who, uh, you know, was less daunted in terms of being the new, I don't even know, in the very beginning they were saying, you know, Billie Holiday, uh, (laughs) you know, comparisons and stuff. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, you know, she, uh, she was kind of fearless in just putting it out anyway and, and having the discography that she amassed you know that's true yeah actually i, I actually was even bumping the one she came out with it might have been a couple of years ago now but i guess it was okay. like a mixtape they called it a mixtape i know she had i remember that it was uh she had mr telephone man <laughs> uh yeah you know, but i thought it was dope the way she did it i was like okay i'm, I'm feeling this yeah she did that drake cover on there yes also. that's what, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I just wanted to, to, to get on to that. Um, but back to Prince. Um, <laughs> uh, also, you will uh, segue into the interview here, but, you know, obviously you are a fan. I'm assuming you are. Let me say that of Paisley Park, the record company in terms of some of the albums that they put out over the years. Um, if you could, you know, what were some of your favorite releases uh, through Paisley Park. Yeah, definitely the the Paisley Park Records label. You know, just like the hip hop labels that I followed at the same time. You know, Cold Chillin or Def Jam. Yeah. Uh, anything that they put out, I would just buy because it had that squiggly little, you know, spermatozoid looking <laughs> Paisley. You know, uh, I, I bought it. You know, I, I came to realize that Prince wasn't involved with everything. Uh, toward the end, or maybe even toward the middle uh, of their output. But yeah, favorite albums, The Family, definitely, you know, it's just, it's a straight up Prince album, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, Sheila E, uh, Romance 1600 is a favorite. Um, The Madhouse albums are favorites. Uh, Jill Jones definitely is, is probably the favorite. Uh, with the family running a close second, you know, <laughs> okay. uh, you know, the Madhouse record, I like eight better than 16, but I like them both. Mm. And um, yeah, you know, all that early Paisley Park stuff, you know, I think maybe 
it jumped the shark around 1988 uh, with the release of like Dale Bozio and uh, mm. probably Good Question Good came question. out that year. Well, you know, <laughs> but they had like, like a hit. What was like a? They pretty, did. Yeah. They did. It was some kind of dance track, whatever <laughs> it was called. Uh, it was on it went number one on some dance chart yeah. that Billboard has. Visually, you know? I'm not saying that, that they recorded this way, but visually, it was like some early Millie, Vanilla. That's exactly vibe. what it was. You know yeah. Like some early EDM, you know? Yeah. yeah. But um, no, nah, they didn't work for me, though. I remember buying a cassette and being like sorely disappointed that I had spent my, you know, nine ninety nine or whatever it was. Uh, Dale Bozio, she had a cut that I really liked. Uh, probably it was a single. Simon Simon. Simon Simon was good, you know? The rest of that album, uh, I couldn't really vouch for, you know? Uh, there was one other song it. on there that was it. good. <laughs> I wish I could remember the title, but like the Prince song, uh, so strong, I believe it was called. I didn't really enjoy that. And that was kind of a surprise, hmm. you know? And then sometimes these albums, like for example, on the family album, I think nothing compares to you is actually attributed to Prince, but he wrote the whole album, you know, mm-hmm. where, uh, in the case of the Dale Bozio album, which was called Riot in English, you know, so strong was attributed to Prince, and at the time you had to wonder, well, is did Prince actually do this whole album also, and it's just whack, or uh, <laughs> you know, like what what's going on here? You know, uh, you never really knew because there were there was so much like smoke and mirrors involved. Uh, but you know, now that we have the scholarship of people like uh, you know, Dwayne uh, Tudal, right? right, right, yeah, yeah, we know what was written and what wasn't, you know, uh, for the most part. And so, yeah, he didn't really have anything to do with that album. And consequently it wasn't that great. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but no, so yeah, I say that they jumped the shark in 88, but there were other albums that were good. The Ingrid Chavez album is, is, uh, you know, a favorite. Okay. And, uh, there's at least one more post 88 that might be slipping my mind, but, um, but yeah, I was I was a fan of what he was trying to do. I mean, if you look back at Michael Jackson also having his own record label, uh, I don't remember anybody else from his label besides Brownstone. You know, I mean, oh, right. I yeah. think he put out three T, which were like his nephews or something. Mm-hmm. You know, but I no, nobody heard that. Nobody really cared. Um, you know. Now they was uh, hitting in some other country now. <laughs> well, that's that's probably true. <laughs> you know, that's probably. I just recently saw somewhere where there's like this, superstars over there. No doubt. No, America's <laughs> not the center of the world. You know, somebody liked it somewhere, and respect. But um, even you know, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis had their own record label. Right. Uh, I, I think they had Flight Time Records for a second. Didn't it was perspective. They, you know? Perspective records. I think. That was perspective, right? Yeah. And they had Sounds of Blackness. Yeah. Uh, but I don't, you know really you know it's like the impact wasn't the same you know like at least uh paisley park did have hits you know jerk out was a hit uh mm-hmm. by the time off of pandemonium you know uh Chili's, uh you know love bazaar and stuff like that like you know there were I mean, even madhouse was an instrumental yeah that know, first album that and was, it was when, that. Yeah. yeah i mean the first single from the madhouse album from the first one six you know, yeah. it was like a top 10 mm-hmm. uh, Billboard R&B hit, you know, very unlikely. And um, so, you know, they, they did their thing for a second, you know, and then, like I said, then then things kind of went south. Yeah, I was. Uh, <laughs> then we got Carmen Electra. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> Clear my throat. Right. right. Moving right along. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's so funny that you bring up Carmen Electra and that project. You know, it. I can see, looking at it now, though, I can see the reasoning why, why Prince would be like, yo, this is going to be the the thing right here. You know, let me drop her little cameo thing. It was at the end of the uh, Get Off video, the VHS. I don't know if you remember that. Mm. It was I a, do. There was a little thing of her, you know, what's coming next or something. It was Carmen. <laughs> I was like, okay, what's he got? Hmm, you know. And, yeah. I, you know, looking at, it's so funny, is in my opinion, if somehow, you know, he, you know, Prince was obviously alive today and uh, people was paying attention, I could see where they would try to put a Carmen Electra out today. Like, and could probably, you. you know, be doing something big. You know, if you look at some of these uh, artists that are out there right now. <laughs> artists. <laughs> you know. No, I mean, I feel like Carmen... That album I don't enjoy, you know, but I could see, sure, if you think of Iggy Azalea, you know, in terms right. of being a white female MC, and if you think of um, Nicki Minaj just being, like, sexy, you know, and you think <laughs> didn't about... didn't even give her the, the MC part. <laughs> <laughs> nah, she's, she's dope, you know, I like, I like her as an MC, but I mean, just, you know, creating a Frankenstein monster, let's say. So, mm. you know, you got Iggy Azalea being a white MC, you got, you know, Nicki Minaj being sexy, you got the pop hip-hop that was popular when Carmen's album came out, like Vanilla Ice and right. MC Hammer, you know, like, uh, from Prince's point of view, I guess it was reasonable it was reasonable to think that you could create a sexy pop, you know, skewed rap artist, you know, that could just sell on the basis of being pop and sexy, you know? And I mean, uh, the problem was, in my opinion, he didn't really come with any hip hop. I mean, he got Moni right. Love involved, you know, Moni Love is a true MC and she goes through a lot of those rhymes, if not all of them. But um, the production just wasn't there, you know, nor was it for that TCLS album that came out. Uh, and, um, bam. you know, it was like, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's my man, too. Let me be clear. I'm yeah, not, nah, I'm, you know, I agreed. You know, um, TCLS, he uh, he got robbed a little bit, you know, yeah. because if he were allowed to do his own thing and if he had come out earlier, uh, you know, his style of delivery was a lot more Houdini, a lot more mm. Curtis Blow. Like, you know, mm. if he had, I don't know, real hip hop producers and um, and allowed to drop his project, you know, when it was conceived, he might have done better. All right. Okay. Yeah. The, 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 you know, and that's a conversation for another time, but the whole, you know, Prince and the hip hop thing is, is so fascinating to me, and particularly, you know, when it was going on, you know, we were just really like paying attention and it was just like, wow. Cause it was, it was at a part to me that I had Prince on as I still do. It was such a pedestal in terms right. of the production and artness and just his quality. And I was just like, I couldn't believe that some of the stuff was attributed to him or that it would come out because I just, again, I just had it on such a, it was just on such a higher level. I just, I was like, I'd rather you don't even bother with that <laughs> style. That's not you. I was just like, eh. Yeah. But yeah, you know, a it, lot but, of us felt that way. But it, again, it's kind of like you know, we were talking about earlier. You know, artists not gonna always 
everything isn't always going to be the hit or whatever. It's just going to be, you know, it's a up and down, but that's the whole point of, you know, continually putting stuff out and, and doing work. You know, it, it's the body. And yeah. Just individual. Uh, well, I'll say Go something ahead. else. Co- very controversial. Uh, <laughs> I can see the spitballs coming already, but I think that, um, for my money, uh, the Lenny Kravitz albums that came out in the 1990s were better than Prince's 1990s output oh, on a whole. Boy, his shots were fired here. <laughs> and I feel like I bring that up because Lenny Kravitz never messed with hip hop. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, he was who he was and he was better for it, you know, instead of trying to get on the mic and, you know, my name is Lenny. Like there was no, <laughs> my name is Lenny. Stop. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, eventually, you know, Jay-Z got a guest spot on one of his albums. I think that might have been Baptism, the Baptism album. But for the most part, you know, he stayed in his lane and he killed it. You know, um, mm-hmm. those first five albums all the way up till his greatest hits record um, were were dope to me. You know, Let Love Rule up until, like, I guess the five album and even beyond. I mean, a little bit, you know, Baptism was probably up until Baptism. He had a really strong stretch of records to mm-hmm. me. Uh, and you know, Prince in the nineties was busy getting off Warner brothers and just putting stuff out to get off of his contract. And, uh, and you know, they're not, they're not comparable musicians. Like, (laughs) don't get me wrong, (laughs) but in terms of, uh, the records, you know, I, I would rather put on, uh, mama said than put on, um, chaos and disorder. I just, I just would. Mm. Although I love, I love Xana Lee, but, (laughs) but yeah. You know, I, I can see what you're saying. I, and I will say this, you know, I didn't really get into Lenny's stuff heavy. You know, I remember I, I remember like Mr. Cab Driver when it first, first came out. I was like, oh, this cat is cool. And I listened to a few of them, but I really didn't get on board until five. Actually, I like I bought that okay. the day it came out and that had cuts on it. And I, I mean, I, I knew of all of his hit songs. You couldn't escape you know, Lenny he was all over MTV and different things of that sure. nature. But I always thought he was good. I was like, he, this dude knows how to write some catchy, dope songs, you know, good stuff. But I always wonder, you know, it's just funny now to me. I, I wonder, like, do we really, did we really appreciate Lenny <laughs> like we, yeah. we should? Because it's like, I see him doing his thing now, still doing it. But I don't know if it's because he's independent or what's going on. But I almost feel like he doesn't really get... Uh, this praise i think he should we always talk about oh we want to see the you know black rocker or how you know we doing different styles of music but i'm like well this cat yeah is doing it been been doing it you know for a minute right. yeah we know who he is right uh, but it's, i almost feel like i wonder do we really like hold lenny down like maybe we should i don't know i could be wrong too. yeah well you know i interviewed prince uh maybe eight months before he passed away and um uh, <laughs> there was some stuff that I kind of kept to myself, <laughs> uh, you know, that didn't get published. Right. And, um, and we had a conversation about Lenny that I'll just tell you about privately because uh, still, uh, you know, I'm not going to tell everybody what he told me. But, but it was cool, you know. It was it was cool to to meet Prince eventually and to ask him all the questions that I had bottled up since I was like 13 years old, you know. Well, well, let's let's go into that experience then, because there's, um, you know, in my opinion, I know a lot of people is a great interview that you did with Prince. 
Thank uh, you. That the initially was came out on Ebony. Was it Ebony.com? Is that the it was Ebony.com? I remember when that came out, and I was just like one of those headbuster interviews. I was like, man, you getting it felt like I was getting some a little bit of the real prince. Like right. not the and I was thinking about this this morning. I was like, normally Prince, obviously Prince is very uh, how should I say meticulous about how his image is been presented to us, and mm-hmm. we're normally presented what I call show prints. Like you know, he can either be very mysterious or he can <laughs> be just the showman. You know, he does his thing, but you don't get to really see like an honest. Uh, you don't get to have one-on-one conversations, or he doesn't really talk about a lot of different things in the open. There have been a couple of interviews that I, in my opinion, are the best ones. Uh, like when he sat down with Tavis initially. Right. With that interview. That was one of the best interviews I'd ever seen of him, period. I was just like, damn. I, 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 can't, I was like, He was like a real person to me. I was like, damn. <laughs> I feel right. this cat. I understand. And then I think the second time he went on Tavis was another really good one. And, you know, I put this yours up there, too, because I was like, you're getting him talking about things and the way it seems as if he's talking about them it ain't the show prints and you know there's any and it just goes to me to show how smart he is because you're very protective of his image and he understands the marketplace uh and how like you know well i'm this superstar and i can transcend transcend race but i know if i was to go down this path i don't know if all of these quote-unquote fans (laughs) Want to really to follow me or listen to me talk about these type of things. So when you get to see glimpses of him sort of going to this other stuff, it's fascinating to me because you can tell like this dude is a pretty deep dude, and obviously he must read or he watches yeah. a lot of things, right? And you know, we the conversation. You know, we had something recently. You know, this whole like Prince Prince is black conversation. I was trying to have a little bit, and mm. people would always be like, "Well, he always spoke of." You know, they would pull things from his song, you know, our clothes, our hair, or or they would, you know, bring the song race. And say, he doesn't, he didn't identify mm. with any of that. And I'm like, well, I hear what you're saying. But again, you can also pull other songs that he had where he's very much talking about these things. And I think if you look Definitely. at some of these interviews, you can get a glimpse of probably what he really is sort of like not being show prints. And I think your interview sort of shows another part of that you know not the show prints and i don't want to use the word bitter but mm. i i use the word of you can see this is an, as an older gentleman who obviously is a superstar and been in the game for a long time and you can tell he's got a lot to say given the opportunity a lot of it could come out if you just you, you kind of get him on one and get comfortable <laughs> there's some things that you know you can see some things that you normally wouldn't expect Prince to be talking about because it kind of was like I was like man he kind of calling he calling people out a little bit I can see the slickness in what he's saying right <laughs> in, he was good things. for that yeah. <laughs> you know and I was like you don't Prince normally get to, to see that slick. right so it, I'm running my mouth but uh, being a longtime fan like talk to me first though of the opportunity that comes where whoever your editor or somebody's like yo opportunity to interview Prince and just sort of how that how that works and then you coming up to Paisley Park I don't know if that was your first time being there or so can, can you yeah 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 it was uh 
the way it came about was that um, we got a call from his publicist, who was also representing Beyonce and still does at the time, and said, uh, you know, Prince wants to talk to you guys. I guess Hit and Run, the first volume, was about to drop. And uh, he, you know, was inviting some people to speak to him. And so it was like, come on out. And that was my first time to Paisley. But when I got there, uh, he told me that uh, he had come across my Madhouse piece. I'd written this like 6,000 word Madhouse story for Wax Poetics magazine. I remember that. And uh, it's still, okay, it's still on the web. You can read it. And um, it was for like their first major Prince mm-hmm. issues, special issue. So he had come across that. You know, he's like, mentioned something about Madhouse in passing and then he kind of looked at me as if, you know, you know all about Madhouse because you wrote that story, you know, like we caught eye and had this moment where I was like, oh, so you you read that, you know, and he was kind of like, you know, yeah, you know, got my... Now, know, now is this at Paisley Park where you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, this is in Studio B. So you bef- take the cheaper Paisley Park tour and yeah. you take you to Studio B. <laughs> before but, um, you go into that, I, I want to be clear though, I just want to really set this up and we'll come back... Sure. Talk to me because, again, being a fan and, and obviously your professional stuff, too. But that first time you walked into Paisley Park, you being a guy who, you know, bought the albums from Paisley Park and, you know, the 80s and all that stuff. What did that feel like for you walking in there, first of all? And were there any sort of uh, intimidation or when you first when Prince walked in the room? That, that's kind of what I want to get into. Yeah, well. I'll approach that two ways because I'd met Prince once before in the 90s okay. and it was at this club called Life. I think BT had given him some kind of award and there was a party, you know, Marilyn Manson and uh, Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins walking around, you know, and somehow I bypassed Prince's security just to walk up to him and to like thank him for, you know, being sort of a guiding artistic light, you know, in my life. And, and he was nice about it. You know, he wouldn't shake my hand, um, (laughs) offered it and had to play it off, you know, but, and he didn't say much, you know, but he, he didn't, he wasn't like security, you know, he, uh, he heard what I had to say. And, you know, um, I hadn't, drank enough to you know <laughs> sit there for 20 minutes talking his air off so i just i thanked him and i left so wow. i'd met him before but um but that wasn't you know anything like the way the second time went so i got to paisley park and um this you know tall like model-esque assistant uh that he had you know came out to meet me and uh ushered me into uh into Paisley Park. So I wore a suit for the occasion because it's like, you know, you're meeting Prince. You know he's going to be dressed up. He dresses up every day. <laughs> you know, I had to come with mine. So, uh, <laughs> so I, you know, I had my, my tailored suit on and um, she led me back past his motorcycle, you know, from Purple Rain, which was behind like a little velvet rope. Right. And, um, as you know, as you walk in. And um, – I was there because actually, ostensibly, I was invited to Paisley to interview Joshua Welton, who, you know, was a young cat who produced Hit and Run. And um, so we spoke for like 10 minutes uh, in maybe Studio A or something like that. But, you know, after the 10 minute conversation was over, he was like, all right, so, you know, Prince is here. You know, uh, he'd like to speak to you. And so when I went out there, it wasn't like a guaranteed Prince interview, you know, it okay. wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't someone there like, you know, to 
interview Prince, but I we always kind of figured that was what was going to happen, and so that was what happened, you know. So after ten minutes with Josh, Prince walks in, and uh, he he gives me a hug, you know, and um, that sort of took the edge off, you know. Can like, imagine. It, yeah. <laughs> it, it felt sort of more informal, you know, immediately because uh, it was just like, wow, okay, you know, a warm hug from this cat who is, you know, had been my biggest hero. And uh, and we just started talking, you know, and it was like, I didn't know that I would interview him for sure. So I had barely really even written down any questions. But again, I mean, you put me in a room with Prince and it's like, right. you know, we're going to, you're going to be able to go off the dome for two hours, you know, which is what happened. So we spoke for a long time. Um, I maybe spoke to him for a good hour and a half and uh, I asked him for a piano. Uh, you know, I play a little Prince. Uh, it's very rudimentary, but, you know, it's another story. But I know some Prince songs. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and how often do you get this opportunity? So I was going to actually, I was going to play Prince Prince songs, right? Wow. So I was like, uh, so, you know, you got a, you got a piano around here, right? You know, or so, whatever I said. And he was like, you know, sure. You know, you're going to play us a little something, you know, like. <laughs> Shooting shot sorry. 101. Well, right. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> sarcastic prince voice you know you know play us a little something <laughs> and i was like yeah baby you know so he showed me where it was and and i started playing maybe the cross or raspberry beret or something like that but it was like i was concentrating so hard not to mess up that i didn't realize that like he he wasn't even like in the room with me anymore like you know wow. i kind of finished the song and i looked around and like he he <laughs> you know he bounced Dipped. you know he was like I'm not gonna sit around listening to this kid playing, you know, whatever. So uh, I asked. So you know, I was alone though in the room, and I, I played whatever else I wanted to play, I, you know, because how often do you get to play Prince's piano? And um, I asked his assistant, you know, if she could call him back or if the interview was over. You know, I, I was afraid that I had, like blown it by trying to, you know, show off. So. Uh, he just had gone to do something, you know, and again, wasn't going to sit around listening to me. So he came back and, you know, that's when uh, we had a, another hour and a half, you know, together. And then for that matter, to make the story complete, uh, he took me to his car. You know, he drove some kind of like Cadillac sports car around the cul-de-sac of uh, Paisley Park where the entrance is and invited me inside and shut the doors and like played me hit and run two, which at the time we didn't even really know that that was like mm -hmm. in the works and it was finished already. And I was like amazed that, you know, he had already completed some whole other album that I wasn't even there to interview him about, you know? Right. So, um, and then, you know, we were done and, and uh, that time, you know, I think he did shake my hand and I got out I got out of his car, but I couldn't figure out how to get out because <laughs> in order to open the doors, it's like it was some kind of push button system. Like there was no handle where you could just open the door and get out. And I'd never <laughs> seen that before. <laughs> so Prince was on some was next like, shit. <laughs> yeah, man. I was like, all right, Prince, you know, thanks, peace. And I went to get out and I, I, I felt like I was trapped in this ride or whatever. I was like, uh, yeah, so what what do I do exactly? So he, he <laughs> laughed and reached over and pressed the button and like the door opened by itself or whatever. Wow. But, uh, <laughs> but that was kind of what it was like. Now, without going into, you know, talking about what he said or anything, but in terms of like how he was 
you know, when you're talking to him, were you amazed that he would talk about the stuff he was talking about with you? Or did you feel, you know, was it a comfortable kind of conversation? Well, the conversation was very comfortable, you know, um, but at the same time, I was just afraid that he might flip, you know, that he might realize that he was being too open with me and then start being, like you said, you know, show prints, you know, uh, that's not the interview I wanted. And uh, it's not the experience I wanted, you know, sitting down with him. So uh, I tread lightly, you know, like uh, I didn't really directly ask him about the past too tough because I know, you know, he doesn't like that and he doesn't dwell on the past and stuff like that, you know. So, of course, there were questions, you know, I would have had a whole other line of questions if uh, I could have delved into like the 1999 era, the Purple Rain era, like the Paisley Park Records era, you know, but um he would bring some things up, you know. Uh, I don't know how we broached the subject of the beautiful ones, but he made it clear to me that he actually hadn't written that song uh, about Susanna Melvoin, you know, which I had read up until that point from different Prince biographies. And he said, you know, it was written specifically for that scene in the movie, and it was really the whole, you know, do you want him or do you want me? Like, that was specifically for that scene about Morris Day and Apollonia and uh you know wasn't you know i mean who knows if even that's true you know right. that's what prince told me you know that's what he told me and um at some point we spoke about madhouse and the time uh it, you know it was it was uh it was cool but it was like he was willing to speak about the past but on his own terms you know um you weren't going to corner him about uh you know, Jill Jones moaning on dance music, sex romance or lady cab driver or whatever, right. you know, like it wasn't really gonna, <laughs> he wasn't going to answer those kind of questions, right. but then, um, he would bring up that he was willing to resurrect the time. If, uh, Morris day's son would be the lead singer. That was you very know? interesting. Yeah. I was like, what? I was like, what? Yeah. I, Even, uh, yeah. there was something else along those lines. Oh man, I just forgot it. It was about, uh, Oh, I had asked him if he had heard Condensate right. because the time, you know, they got back together as the original seven without his input and without the name, the time and, and released this record. And, and I, there's a documentary on YouTube about them making that record. And, uh, and I believe at some point they said that they sent it to him, you know, and so I was wondering what he thought of it and if he had played it and he told me he hadn't heard it. I wonder if that's true. <laughs> he ain't listened to it. But, yeah. But, you, you know, know but, I I mean, hear, but I can understand why he said that. Yeah, I mean, to me, that seems more true than maybe the Susanna Melvoy thing. But uh, but who knows? Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting because, again, you know, you, you bring about the thing with Susanna. And I can only assume he was talking about Susan Rogers in one part of here. Right. He talking about the vault. And, you know, I, that's why I was reading that. And then he's talking about some other band member and his stuff being for sale or whatever. And, you know, yeah. Bring him to me. And, you know, why you tell mm-hmm. you? I was like, man, I was like, this is a cat that's he's he not here for the funny stuff. <laughs> like he's really, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to use better language, but he ain't, mm-hmm. you know, he's not. He, I'm seeing he, I, I can tell he's watch. He was watching. Oh, you you think it was about you? huh? Like, oh, you. Yeah, why you, why you, why, he basically, you know what he was saying? Why you got my name in your mouth? That's kind of the vibe mm-hmm. I could see he sort of had to, to certain things. And it almost seems like he was like, uh, he didn't want people to like inject themselves 
uh, into his thought process. If they didn't, he didn't feel like he really, you didn't know him or I don't, you know what I mean? It wasn't like, how are you trying to tell me what I thought about things? And he was, mm. seemed like he was kind of saying, but I can see why you would think that because I don't really come out and, you know, speak on that. I don't, I don't talk about, I don't explain a lot of stuff. So you can kind of run, which I think, you know, obviously us as fans, we, we're going to speculate and, and do our thing. Sure. But I guess he was probably, I'm assuming he's probably thinking like, why, why would, why are these you know, band members or people that used to work with me, why are they out there trying to <laughs> sort of inject themselves into <clears> my top? Again, that's just the vibe I was getting from the interview. And I, and I don't, you don't normally, you didn't normally see that from Prince. And I was sure, just like, sure. man, I was like, man, he, he got something to say. He, he, he kind of yeah. coming at people without, without naming people. But <laughs> and what made me I mean, wonder, I, feel like I, you oh, know, I caught him on a good day, maybe, yeah. but also I think that, I mean, who knows, you know, but I feel maybe my Madhouse piece had something to do with it, you know, because he oh, knew okay. who he was dealing with when I walked in the door. You know, Madhouse uh, is something that it's a band that you sort of need to be, you know, a Prince initiate to even kind of know about. And I, I went off uh, for 6,000 words about this band and I had interviewed Eric Leeds and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, Alan Leeds as well and um, and Fink you know, who played keyboard in the live version. And, um, you know, I had done this like almost, you know, Vanity Fair researched piece about this obscure, you know, uh, Prince record or Prince affiliate record, you know, and I think that he realized that, uh, you know, he was, I was somebody that knew his stuff for real, for real. And so uh, he could give me the real deal as opposed to, you know, some like millennial from, rollingstone.com who you know what i'm saying like didn't really grow up on his stuff and knows him from the super bowl gotcha now why do you and now you know the thing though the controversy of this was you know that that uh interview went up and you can tell me i mean it was almost like the next day or a couple days later did they take it down or did they edit it down same day the same day why why do you think that that happened because i thought that was very odd (laughs) (laughs) well you know, I guess he realized that uh, he was too frank, you know, mm. um, he was too frank. I mean, what happened was the publicist emailed us, you know, hours after it went up or maybe it was the next day, actually. But it was like, you know, take it down immediately. You know, Prince uh, says that that conversation that they had was off the record and, um, you know, take it down. So uh, I was out there to interview him. So, you know, it's impossible that it was an off the record conversation. Um, that's sort of, you know, what he was standing on uh, in terms of us taking it down. But uh, because the publicist also represented Beyonce, you know, there were like politics, <laughs> right. politics involved. Politics you know, of the game. <laughs> yeah. In terms of not, you know, pissing her off. And, you know, I don't want to piss Prince off if he doesn't want it out there like that. Then, you know, by all means take it down um i'm not trying to be prince's enemy but um mm. you know we took it down but i mean it's the internet so you can read it right now right. you know it's like uh yeah, yeah. it just became kind of like the black album you <laughs> black know album like, of interviews there you go <laughs> right you know like copies were pressed and then destroyed but there's still remnants you know what i'm saying it's like you can't really destroy anything these days so ebony mm. doesn't have it and they lost the traffic but i think housequake you know put it up right away right and um you know, maybe eventually got cease and desist. You know, I don't know. But, I mean, people read it anyway, and you still can read it. And, um, yeah, but I think that once, you know, 
it, he read it through. I don't know if he read it personally through, but you know, somebody got to him like, yeah, maybe you don't want this out there because you know you're. It could come off like you're dissing folks, like uh, Eric Leeds, for example, or uh, No Doubt. You know, the group. Oh, uh, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> he said some some funny about No Doubt. You know, it's like I had asked him specifically uh, about something Miles Davis had said in his autobiography, which was um, about the ability of white musicians to improvise. Mm-hmm. Or let's say, not even that. What it was, was Miles Davis said that he could recognize just by listening whether musicians playing on something were white or black. And I asked Prince if he thought that that was true or if he could do the same thing. And at first he told me... Um, that he didn't want to talk about it, you know, like he he didn't want to he didn't want to go there, uh, but then he went there eventually in his own way by saying that he had invited no doubt to Paisley Park to jam, and that they they couldn't jam, you know, that mm. like they know their stuff, you know, um, mm. that basically uh, you know white folks can do things that they practice over and over, you know, but in terms of like improvisation, uh, you know. That's that's more a black thing, you know. You, um, you got Larry Bird them, <laughs> basically. You know, what I'm saying Joke. basically, you know, saying it like, yo, uh, you know, you can be Muhammad Ali after you see Muhammad Ali do it, <laughs> mm-hmm. but you know, mm-hmm. in terms of doing it in the first place, you know, y'all ain't too great at that. See, and I can see how no doubt could look at that and be like. Yeah, but, but but the thing, yeah, but see the thing about it, I, I look at it as, and what I looked at at the time was, again, this is a cat who's been in the game, and not only been in it, but been you know at the top of it, and is one of you know in terms of quality, and you know, artistic value and the work ethic, he can sit in a position to sort of not even really chastise. I mean, there's a healthy bit of chastising, and what they say, uh, cutting the diamond. Or whatever the, mm. the phrase is, but that's a type of person that, to me, you would want. You know, yeah, I mean, people are gonna make clown online, but he's really giving you some nuggets and would probably maybe help you, you know, further your abilities as a musician if you can have a guy like that and can give you like some words. It, it might seem like he's dissing whatever, but there's some truth to what he's saying, and it's just like in any other sort of. Uh, you know, medium or, you know, field that you may be in, there are cats who have done it on a, on a, on a large level and should be able to, uh, you know, with love offer some sort of criticism, chastisement to help you get better. So you can see, you might, so you could be, so they should be able to see what he said in that. And no, it wasn't that trying to be an evil type of comment, but it was really like, you know what? He ain't lying. I mean, he, he he's Prince. You know what I'm saying? Like this dude has the work to back up what he's talking about. So if he tell you something, then maybe you say, you know what? Let me see what he's saying. Maybe he, he may, they know they if you know they was in the room, so they might know what he, if he was telling the truth or not. And I would imagine right. a lot of musicians, if you're gonna sit up there and, and get in front of him, and I've heard a lot of them speak about it, where it's like, yo, he ain't playing, man. Like you gonna be on point, or you ain't gonna last. You know what I'm saying? So right. it's not a, so I, I, but I can see, yeah, it, you know, might come off. And even the stuff he was saying about, you know, he's, what he said, something like, I was used to being raised like I didn't have nothing or, yeah. And I see my stuff in this place. That's mine. 
You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, I don't feel so I can, but I can understand that. You know, I can see what he means by that. And again, you know, with that for the person who's got some memorabilia and they trying to put it out there, they may feel a certain kind of way about it. But I mean, at that time he was alive to speak on it. So he could, that's how he felt. You know, it is what it is. Yeah. But I think yeah. it's a great interview because it shows more of him uh, and who he is after everything he's been through and was going through. And I want to see a more honest presentation of Prince. You know, I want to be able to know that, yeah, of course he's all about, you know, everyone's got to love everybody and this and that and the third. But he's also about, yo, stand up for your stuff. Uh, yeah, you like that? Yeah, I like I, I like that Time album too, but this is how we did it. And, you know, we mm -hmm. that was then, you know what I'm saying? I, the process yeah. then is different now. Maybe we'll turn it off to pass it on to the children and let them pick it up. But so it was just really cool to read that type of stuff, I thought. Man. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. I mean, uh, there was a sameness to Prince interviews after a certain point, you know, mm -hmm. and part of that uh, was because you weren't allowed to take notes or record him, you know. And so there were a lot of journalists just kind of going off memory, you know, as well as they could in terms of what he said and rushing to the bathroom and, you know, jotting down notes and rushing back or, you know, however they chose to handle it. But I mean, um, you know, since like the early 90s or mid 90s or whenever it was, like you weren't even allowed to to record what was actually coming out of his mouth. So, you know, that sort of changed the tone of Prince interviews after a while. And then uh, during his whole battle with Warner Brothers, the main thing he wanted to talk about you know, was uh, getting off Warner Brothers and right. uh, creative rights for artists, you know, which was all valid stuff. But his reticence to talk about the past sort of, again, made like this sameness to the Prince interview where before you even turned to the page, you knew, you know, he was going to rail against Warner and and record companies, period. And um, and not talk about, you know, that Vanity Six album that you might have loved so much. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know. I think that um, somehow my my interview managed to to sort of you know puncture a hole through that and bypass some of that and um, and I'm really grateful for that because eight months later he was gone. Yeah, that was yeah that that, that that's crazy. Now now you in terms of the process of the interview, you said how did you uh, capture this? Obviously, you didn't have a recorder there. Or did um, you? Well, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So what happened was we spoke and uh, like I told you, I, I took a break to play the piano, which he wasn't around for. And so uh, I had my iPhone with me because I had interviewed uh, Joshua Welton earlier, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I recorded myself playing um, Prince's piano because nobody was around to stop me. And uh, and again, you know, how often do you get to do that? So I played the cross and I put the phone back in my pocket and called him back and spoke to him, you know, for another hour and a half and left. And um, as it happens, uh, I did record him. You know, it was mm. like uh, slightly muffled through the inside pocket from the inside pocket of my suit, you know. But um, but I, I had him. I still I still have that interview. It's it's. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I treasure it. And so uh, that is, you know, another reason why. Uh, it was so true to what he was okay. saying. And, and, you know, I don't think that that's the reason why he asked for it to be taken down. Um, you know, he had no way of knowing, uh, 
otherwise I guess he would have thrown me out of Paisley immediately. <laughs> but um but in terms of um you know what that interview what he was saying in that interview is actually exactly what he said, not just me going off of memory or okay. I'm glad you injecting said my own opinion. I'm glad mm-hmm. you said that because that's one of the criticisms that I see is, oh, that ain't Prince. He would never talk like that. You know, right. And the third. So you actually saying, yo, I did record some of this. So I'm not just pulling words and trying to put my own narrative to it. This is the mm-hmm. words that's out of his mouth put on sure i mean like i said you know before i started playing piano we had already spoken for an hour and a half and Mm. i didn't run any of that because i just felt uh weird you know i mean i like hats off to all the journalists who had been interviewing him for 20 years you know uh off of their their notes and memory um but like i i just couldn't do it that way and i'm glad that i got his actual words because uh you know half the stuff he said you know wouldn't have been believed anyway <laughs> and um you know it was just i don't know you know i've been in this game interviewing celebrities for, you know for like 25 years and it's customary obviously to record them mm-hmm. you know like that's what you're there for it's better for you to get exactly what they said than for you to misquote them uh, so, you know, I didn't feel like I was doing anything super, uh, you know, in bad taste or illicit or, you know, like they, they didn't confiscate my phone when I walked into Paisley Park or anything. So, you know, part of me kind of felt like, well, is this actually what happens with journalists and prints? Like, you know, are they all just actually, you know, like secretly recording him and he doesn't really say anything he just doesn't want to see the tape recorder in his face because it makes him nervous or you know like you know what is the real you know untold protocol behind this because they didn't frisk me when i walked in here and uh you know they didn't really make you know i didn't sign a non-disclosure like you know do not record him it was just it's just sort of customary practice you know that prince you know doesn't want to be recorded but but uh but I must admit that I did. All right. Well, we'll leave it at that. Um, so how did you feel when the takedown thing came, though? Like, Yeah, well, uh, you know, part of me felt like I wish they had fought for it a little bit. You know, uh, Ebony, that is. Um, but I understood. You know, like I said, it was there were politics involved. And um, and again, I mean, Prince. uh you know, come on, that's my man. You know, if he doesn't want it out there for some reason, I would rather take it down than, you know, for him to have to, like, call me. Uh... Remember the part of the interview where he said he had to call somebody in talking about Bob Seger? Right. <laughs> like, uh, you know, there was somebody, I think it was actually Alan Light who had written something about how, uh, you know, Bob Seger used to write anthems you know, in the early 80s. And mm. so Prince wrote Purple Rain because he needed an anthem also. And Prince was kind of like, Bob Seger, get that writer in here. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> let me talk to him about, you know, like Bob Seger, really? You know, like I didn't want to become that guy, you know, no diss to Alan Light. But, um, but yeah, I didn't want to, I didn't want to get called back to Paisley. <laughs> like, mm. uh, you know, I invited you here. You recorded the conversation and put, you know, like, or whatever he thought was wrong with it, you know. 
But I was just, you know, so yeah, I was like, if he wants it down, then, you know, take it down. And again, it'll live on anyway. It'll even be more, you know, it'll be more infamous, actually, that way. Like I said, uh, like a total kind of black album sort of a thing. Like, okay, you know, take it down. Like the real heads read it already. And um, those who want it will find it going down, you know, the wormhole of the internet. And, um, yeah, that was okay. oh, and then Billboard called me. Billboard called me like that afternoon, I think. Like, you know, where'd the piece go? Because I think I didn't I hadn't even seen it, but I think that they had like excerpted it from Ebony or something. And then they had a dead link and they were like, well, what happened to your stuff? So they did a whole story on, you know, the disappearing interview and right. uh, how Prince is, you know, with his interviewees or interviewers and stuff. Okay, now was and I'm curious was there uh, was this going to run in the Ebony magazine or was this purely just going to be online or was that even a conversation yet or? Yeah, no, good question. So, actually, when I got back from Paisley, this is maybe August of 2015. Uh, I ran maybe three questions from our interview, you know, because it was for the publication or the um, what is the word? Uh, it was for a hit and run, you know, mm -hmm. uh, part one or whatever, you know, it was, it was to publicize uh, hit and run part one. So I went out to Paisley, we ran three questions from the interview, but my editor actually wanted me to hold back, you know, all of the interesting stuff because, uh, we were hoping to get him for the cover, you know, okay. uh, Ebony magazine every year they have a gala and, um, yeah, it's kind of controversial because they, they. I don't work at Ebony at in, anymore. First of all, <laughs> let me put that oh, okay. out there. <laughs> but uh, Ebony owes a lot of money. I was about to ask. Trevor. I remember hearing something about people <laughs> right. weren't getting their money and stuff. Yeah, that's a serious thing. Oh, but okay. uh, Ebony owes money to journalists, and they haven't paid it all. And yet they have this gala every year. Uh, but mm. anyway, mm. there are different performers at the gala, right? Uh, while I was working at Ebony, I remember the Jackson Five or the Jacksons performing at the gala. And uh, there was uh, another performer, I don't remember. But anyway, they wanted Prince for the gala, you know. And um, hmm. it turned out that, you know, Prince didn't do the gala. But I guess... In conjunction with, you know, Prince doing the gala, maybe they would have given him the cover and it would have been, you know, all the same month. Uh, but anyway, none of that happened. So uh, when Hit and Run 2 came out, you know, I was just sitting on this this interview that was great. So it was like, all right, let's just put it out anyway, because now there's a whole al other album to publicize. You know, like six months later, Hit and Run 2 was out or something. So uh, that was when it ran online and that was when it got taken down immediately. Okay. Um, also, we wanted to to talk about uh, you got another Prince related project coming out. Uh, I believe it's called the Paisley Diaries. That is true. Tell us a little bit about that, if you can. Which yeah, of course. So it's a great site, uh, Soulhead.com. Uh, they're very Prince friendly, and uh, you know they've run interviews in the past with uh, Andre Simone and Jerome Benton, and uh, it's run by um, a guy named Ron Worthy uh, in New York City. And so we're going to run a series of interviews with people who were signed to Paisley Park Records during its uh, existence, you know, uh, in the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, the inception of this came from a book that I had planned to do. You know, uh, I 
wanted to write a book about specifically Paisley Park Records. You know, mm-hmm. there are books about Stax and certainly Motown, and uh, there's a book about Impulse Records. You know, uh, the home that John Coltrane built, and I wanted to do uh, a label book. You know, about Paisley Park, but like interviewing the Paisley Park artists naturally and focusing on them chapter by chapter. Good question, even, sure. But T.C. Ellis and Jill Jones and uh, Sheila E. and uh, The Time, et cetera, et cetera. And, like, there were 22 acts, I believe. And basically, their albums came out during this really, you know, creative period in Prince's career. So it was a way of talking about that period of Prince's career through these artists that had been signed to his label and that he had been working with because, uh, you know, a great deal of those albums were, you know, Prince records basically that he'd, you know, written and, uh, and played on completely and stuff. So, uh, that didn't happen because, um, of the marketplace, basically, you know, I was told by my agent that, uh, by my former agent, actually, that's another story. But, uh, but I was I was told that you know basically publishers don't really you know go for books about labels that they don't sell, and so it would be a hard sell even after Prince passed and everybody sort of wanted a Prince book to put out. Uh, you know, the Prince book to put out was not gonna be about his label. That wasn't something that she was gonna be able to sell because. Uh, those albums didn't sell. I mean, they sold to us, you know, because we love Prince so much and they were, you know, they mean things, you know, to us. But uh, if you ask the average person, you know, about a Chill Jones album or, a, you know, Ingrid Chavez album, they don't really even know who these people are. So, um, so I, you know, in a way I get it, but in a way you got to take a chance, you know, like do it anyway. You know I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not really about what sells. I mean, you know, we I wasn't really so history. I'm saying, you know I'm saying? <laughs> like, I wasn't even concerned about, you know, the sales part of it. I mean, I guess of course it's her job to be concerned about the sales. Sure. part. But anyway, that said, I had already interviewed Taja Savelle and Ingrid Chavez and Jill Jones and um, uh, Brown Mark, you know, who had produced that um, Maserati album. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, David Z also, who had a hand in that. And Sheila E., you know, and George Clinton and Mavis Staples. You know, I'd already had all these interviews. Uh, I, I didn't get everybody yet. Uh, I, I didn't get to speak to Carmen Electra, for example. Uh, I, I interviewed T.C. Ellis, you know, um, I didn't speak to Morris Day yet uh, for the time or Jimmy and Terry or anybody. But uh, basically, uh, Soulhead is going to publish these interviews that I've done, you know, with these various Paisley Park artists. And that's going to start uh, with T.C. Ellis and it's going to start in November. And, um, yeah, people can look forward probably, you know, every other week or so uh a new okay. installment from the paisley diaries okay yeah we, and that's soulhead.com yes checking that out yeah man i say man shoot if y'all if you want to after you don't put them all out come, come you know self-publish or put that out yourself we need that man yeah i appreciate it i mean i you know i would love to read a book like that you know it's like one of those questions that writers are constantly asking themselves like what would i want to read like that is the thing that i should be writing you Mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. like what's out there that you know doesn't exist that uh i would enjoy checking out and uh, you know i would love uh you know paisley park records uh book you know like i know that when you go to paisley park there is sort of a section devoted to books 
you know, they're like sort of, I don't want to say self-published, but I, I guess that is what they are, you know, um, these books that, that Paisley has that you can buy that uh, commemorate oh, right, coming right, to visit. Right. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I wish that I could maybe speak to the estate or something about doing a book, um, you know, focused on uh, that that section of his career because it's it is just you know to me it's it's really interesting uh you know from the family album to you know the carmen electra album mm-hmm. uh you know from 85 to 93 that was a real interesting you know sort of period he had just blown up i mean super super mega blown up with purple rain and then he got his own label and then from that point to the point where he, he was no longer Prince because he changed his name, you know, in 93. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a very interesting period in his career, you know, the prolificness of it and, and uh, you know, the the hits, you know, that were, that were coming out under his own name and different, you know, acts like uh, Sheena Easton and uh, yeah. whatnot. And then, you know, and then he changed his name and, you know, he was the symbol and that was like, that's a whole other phase. But it's like, you know, when it comes to artists like Prince, you can sort of break their career down into like phases. You know, it's mm-hmm. like a it's a David Bowie, you know, it's a Miles Davis, you know, like there are periods. And to me, you know, whatever, it's like if you want to say Prince has these three phases from like for you to the name change and then the symbol years, you know, the seven symbol years. And then like the post symbol period where he's got his name back, you know, uh, it's just, you know, you could, you could write a thick book, you know, focusing on each period really. But, you know, I think that that period, that Paisley Park period is really interesting to me and always has been. Yeah. And I mean, you, 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 you think about it, obviously there's the MPG records mm-hmm. time, you know, and these strong projects came through that. Uh, yeah, that yeah. was definitely going to be like a coda to the book. You know, yeah, okay. there was definitely there was a chapter in there. You know, I have a whole proposal that I, that I put together. There, there was definitely a whole uh, chapter about MPG Records and uh, those those joints that Shaka Khan and uh, Graham Central Station and whatnot put out. Yeah, yeah, MPG stuff. All right, um, man, we could be awesome. Listen, we can get on some prints all day. I, I love oh, yeah. hearing you talk about. Uh, Prince and, and the way you're describing things. Um, where can people contact you or find you online or different places they can find your work? Um, sure. Well, I have a website. It's MML, my initials, MMLunlimited.com. And uh, there's a writing section there that uh, provides links to everything from GQ to the New York Times to the Village Voice, uh, different places that I've been published over the years and uh that would be the main place i would say but in terms of social media period instagram twitter i am reachable also at uh mml unlimited all right all right and as i always say thank you so much to be on this show but of course we're gonna walk out of here and say work it like a job we will see you next time peace respect